0: It's commonly known as the Good Samaritan. I've entitled uh, this sermon, Walking Past Those in Need. Walking Past Those in Need. And I'll read the text in a moment, but first I'd like to create a little bit of a context for you. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 10, by the way. Jesus and his disciples are on their way from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. It will be the last journey that Jesus takes to Jerusalem. Because he is going there to bear a bitter cross. And as they make their way, he sends out 72 of them into every town and place in which he himself is about to visit. They're the advance team. And their job is to heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. And you can imagine them fueling a sense of anticipation. There must must have been a buzz in the air. God's rule and reign is about to break in. The king is about to arrive. The kingdom of God is near. The 72 return to Jesus, and they are overwhelmed at what they experienced. They said, Lord, even the demons, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Indeed, the kingdom of God is was breaking in, overwhelming the domain of the devil. But then Jesus tells them, somewhat surprisingly, uh, don't be too excited about the authority that you've been given in Jesus' name. No, rather rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hmm. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Old Testament, the the prophets and the Psalms, they actually talk about three books with names in them. The first one are the book of the names of those who belong to Israel. We have all these genealogies that you keep running into, right, in the Old Testament. They are the official registries of those who are included in Israel god's chosen people the second book containing the days of our lives for god has ordained the number of our days hasn't he you're all familiar with psalm one thirty nine sixteen. your eyes god saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them but there's a third book It's a third book. It's the book of everlasting life. Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, and the Psalms all describe this book. And in the book of Revelation, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Which brings us to our text and to the question that this legal expert is asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Life. How do I get my name in the book of everlasting life? That's the question that spurs on this parable. Look at with me at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But... He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I have come back." Jesus then continues, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, would you open our eyes and our hearts to the message from Luke chapter 10, this very morning. We give you permission, Father, not that you need it, but we give you permission to invade our lives and do the spiritual surgery in us that we need so that we might be conformed into the image of your beloved Son. And we pray in his name, amen. Well, this man is a lawyer, who specializes in Old Testament law. So he's a theologian who studies and interprets the law of Moses. The text tells us that he is testing Jesus. Maybe he's trying to show off how smart he is. Or maybe he's trying to embarrass Jesus with a really tough question. Uh, but perhaps below that there is actually a sincere desire to know the answer to this question. How might I inherit eternal life? I mean, after all, it's one of the most important questions anyone could ask. In fact, perhaps you are asking that question this morning. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what does Jesus do? He points the lawyer back to the Bible. It's always a good thing to do when people are asking profound questions. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knows his bible that's a good thing the two great commandments and jesus says you've answered correctly well done do this and you will have eternal life some ways that ought to be the end of the story right no not quite because there's a problem isn't there The lawyer was looking forward to a religious and philosophical discussion with Jesus. And Jesus reframes the conversation to make it practical and personal. You want eternal life? No problem. Just love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor is yourself. But of course there is a problem. Who can fully live this out? Who can do it? No one. And so what does a lawyer do? He tries to squirm his way out. Right? Desiring to justify himself, he asks another philosophical question. Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wants to get into a definitional debate. Uh, Jesus answers with a story. A parable about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. About 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it's a rugged, rugged, tough journey. There's actually a decline or an incline, depending which way you're going, of 3,300 feet. And it's through this barren wilderness, and it's dangerous. I mean, the people hearing Jesus' parable, they would know exactly what he's talking about. Many of them would have traveled that road. And many of them, as they start off on that journey, would be nervous because of the, the experiences that others have had of being attacked by robbers. So this man, in the parable, is savaged by robbers and left half dead. A bit later come three travelers, two religious leaders, a priest and a Levite. Perhaps they've just finished their term of service at the temple, leading the people in the worship of God, and now they're heading home. And, of course, they see him And they pass by, cross over to the road, the other side of the road. But let me warn us, before we get too self-righteous, I can't believe they did that. How many times have you crossed over the road to avoid someone in need? I'm thinking about the homeless person on LaSalle Street or Michigan Avenue. I'm not sure exactly the context here in the Frankfurt area, but you've got people in need, and have there been times when you've crossed over to the other side of the street in order to avoid what could be a problem? Hmm. This third person, a Samaritan, sees him, and verse 33 says, He has compassion compassion and as you know samaritans were considered third class people they were not written in that first book of of uh of the genealogies no they are not included in israel and he's the last person you'd expect to be the hero in this story He has compassion. And that was a fundamental problem with the priest and the Levite. They did not have compassion. Perhaps the compassion started to well up in them, but they managed to knock it down. I've been there, done that. I tell you, this study, for me personally, has been very, very challenging as, as the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God have been exposing my own heart. When I heard about Trayvon Martin's murder in Florida a few years ago, I'm ashamed to say I felt no compassion for him or his family. It was just another news item to click through. Louise and I live in Chicago proper. We're in the city. And every Monday, tomorrow morning, we will learn about how many people have been shot and or killed in our great city. But it'll just be numbers. It'll just, it, and those numbers tend to numb us, don't they? And we'll just say, oh, kind of shrug and um, kind of tune it all out. Oh, oh. To us, they become Distant statistics rather than precious people created in God's image who have been cut down. Hmm. Now, sometimes I do feel compassion, but then I have this terrible capacity to rationalize my compassion away. I wonder if you've ever done this. Sadly, I've become really good at justifying my inaction. And that, the text tells us that's what the lawyer was doing. He was desiring to justify himself. When I see someone in need, here are my top four excuses to move on. To not get involved. Number one. I'm too busy. Too busy to stop, sometimes too busy to even notice. I've got my agenda, my plans, I've got my schedule, and a lot of times that schedule is packed pretty tightly. There's not a, little legal, there, there's not a lot of wiggle room for surprises, for pivoting to people in need. I'm too busy, oh Lord, forgive me. My second excuse, fear, a lack of courage. It might be dangerous to stop and help someone. Ah, is it a trick? What's the real story here? Is there a scam going on? What's it going to cost me? Fear kicks in. Forgive me, Lord. Third excuse, my inadequacy kicks in. I don't know how to help. What if I can't help? What if the problem is so big, so overwhelming, that I don't even know where to begin? What if helping, oh, what if helping means I'm going to be involved in a long-term commitment to help somebody? My inadequacy kicks in. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Fourthly, sometimes I find my prejudice kicks in. Well, they're not from my group, and so I feel less compassion and less responsibility. Maybe I think it's their own fault, so they don't deserve my help. Someone else can help them. That's what the government is for. Oh, my prejudice kicks in. Lord, forgive me. The lawyer in our story desired to justify himself. These are some of the ways that I justify myself. Perhaps you can relate to some of them. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we justify our inaction, when we refuse to help people in need around us. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Change that in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I mean, the Samaritan was probably tempted with the same justifications. He was a busy man. He had things to do, people to see. But he, that compassion welled up inside of him, and he was able to kind of fight off those justifications and allow his compassion to flower into action. Look at verses 34 and 35. The Samaritan went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day... He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Oh, it, it, this, was, this was costly. It cost him time. It cost him money, several hundred dollars by today's standards. And it was really Messy. First of all, the man's naked, right? They stripped him. He's naked. That's embarrassing. And then there's blood and guts all over the place, right? Bruises and bleeding. Oh. And he's probably from a different ethnic group. And, and this, this Samaritan, he's probably not a doctor. He doesn't, you know, He doesn't know exactly what to do and And would it even this guy 's almost dead? Would it make any difference in the long run? This encounter was a huge imposition on the Samaritan There was nothing easy or convenient about it, but he takes his own oil and wine, uses them as disinfectants so the, the wounds don't get infected. And then he binds up the wounds, the text says. I'm guessing he didn't have a box of Band-Aids in his, in his uh, little saddlebag. And so he's probably tearing up one of his shirts or tunics in order to be able to have bandages to wrap up these wounds. Nothing easy or convenient about it. And of course, Jesus is describing here the cost of being a disciple. Listen to what he says just a, a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 6. Jesus is speaking and he says this If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners. To the ungrateful and the evil, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Compassion is a feeling that then morphs into action, mercy. Mercy is a compassion in action. Now, of course, this story is a parable. A simple story to illustrate a moral or spiritual principle. But let me share with you the amazing true story of someone, you've met him already this morning. Someone whose compassion compelled him into action. You heard about his family and about his pastoral ministry living in a desperately poor and chaotic country in Asia. But now listen to how this pastor is applying this text to his own life. This is his story, his good Samaritan story. And note that he's someone who did not allow his inadequacies to prevent him from helping the neediest of the needy, little three-minute video clip. He's going to mention Pastor Ken, one of our staff members. Please.
1: Let me share about my life in the global pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic has made a lot of hardships and difficulties for our. People, economy is down, business training is down and it impacts our people a lot. Parents will lose their job, and no job, no income, and no income, no food. It is really hard for uh, common, common parents to feed their children and also to support their children health care, and education. God is still good for us even in this pandemic. By His grace, through Pastor Ken, I received hunger for life. I used those farms to distribute uh, fruits for seven villages. One of those seven villages; the other six are Christianity. I uh, believe in animism, and I'm doing outreach ministry here from um, since 2019. And during the pandemic, as I distribute the, the the fruits, the physical fruits, I also push on in sharing the gospel. So by grace, the sixteen families. This is really grace by His grace, by His powerful word, became the sixteen families became Christian from enemies. I praise God for He saved those people. Isn't that
0: beautiful! What a beautiful example! Amen. Amen. Now there we sometimes hear about a false dichotomy about social action and, and gospel proclamation. And here's a beautiful example of the, the perfect marriage of those two things together. Sixteen families of animistic. They they, believe that, they used to believe that God was in the, in the rocks and the trees and the, and the sun, and now they are following the Lord Jesus Christ in this country that is in the midst of, a, of, of chaotic uh, problems and incredible poverty. Praise be to God. Well, let me conclude. The priest and the Levite failed on two levels. First, they didn't feel compassion for this desperate man. Secondly, they didn't lift a finger to alleviate His suffering. And the point of this parable is to pinch. To pinch the lawyer, but also to pinch us. It's designed to create a personal crisis for the lawyer and for us. Jesus ends the parable by asking a simple but profound question. Verse 36, Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor To the man who fell among the robbers. And the answer is obvious. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus ends by simply saying, you go and do likewise. Just do it. Jesus' question exposes the lawyer and exposes us. Jesus exposes our failures to fully keep God's law. Jesus exposes our failure to show compassion for those in need. Jesus exposes our failures to take action, to show mercy, to alleviate the suffering of people around us. And this text this text calls for a response. And if you're like me, the response is one of repentance. Of owning our failures to care for those in need around us. Will we repent? Will we ask for forgiveness? Will we begin to respond to those in need as Christ's faithful followers? There may be some here this morning that are not following Christ. Perhaps you're asking that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is simple. Love God with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And love your neighbor as (laughs) yourself. But of course, who can do it? No one. We all fall short of keeping God's laws and of his glory. It's a little bit like if we were all standing on a beach in California at the edge of the Pacific Ocean and the challenge was to swim to Japan. And the the starting gun goes off and a few of us make it 100 yards and we're done. Maybe some really good swimmers can make it a couple of miles. Maybe we've got some Olympian swimmers with us, and they can make it 100 miles or 150 miles. It doesn't matter. Japan is so far away, no one can make it. No one can keep God's laws fully. There's nothing we can do. But God has provided a way. Do you remember I said that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to bear a bitter cross? He took the punishment that we all deserve upon himself. He was the one man who kept fully God's law, who loved God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and who loved his neighbor as himself. He kept the law, and yet he bore the punishment for our inability to keep the law. God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to God through Christ. And if you have never done that, if you've never come to that point where you've turned from your sin and embraced the cross, embraced the resurrected Christ, I urge you to do that even this morning. Talk to me. Talk to one of the leaders in the church. We'd love to help you on that journey. Let's pray. Father, this text does indeed pinch us. It convicts us. Lord, we know that sometimes we are like that Levite. Sometimes we are like that priest. Oh, forgive us, Father. And we pray, we pray that You will bring transformation in our lives. We pray that You would take these hearts of stone and make them soft and tender. Make them like Your heart, Father. Would You cause compassion to to rise up within us when we see needs around us? And then would You cause us to have the courage, the love, the faith to step out and minister, love, care for people in need around us. Oh God, would you do it. it. It will take a miracle, Lord, and we are trusting you for that. Through your word, by your Holy Spirit, work these things deeply in us. We ask it, we plead with you in Jesus' name and for his Greater glory. Amen. Amen.